0: Uh, to send a letter internationally requires two stamps, and it's best that you market airmail or par avion to use French, um, unless they send it by boat and it take three months to get there. The South African mail system is very slow anyway, sometimes it takes two to three weeks to get a letter across the country. So. It often takes two, two to three weeks for a letter to be mailed there and to arrive here as well, even if you mark it airmail. We'll have a new meeting, a new moon meeting. It'll be a new meeting. A new moon meeting uh, Monday evening at 7 o'clock. I want to start at 7. I think... That is a good time for us to discuss some community issues here as well, so we'll start early and then we'll get to a a Bible study per se later on. So we'll start at 7 o'clock on Monday evening. Uh, One note, we'll probably talk about Monday, but I'll just make a brief announcement here. Uh, The materials are here to do some drywall mudding and taping in the kitchen and bathrooms. If someone has time, it would be nice to get that done and painted before the feast. Uh, Since things are pretty much cleared out in there right now, I would like to do it before we start filling them up too much again, and already things are starting to pile up a little bit in there. So uh, if we can have some volunteers to do that, it would be a big help, and then maybe a couple of us can get it textured and painted prior to the feast then we can start using the kitchen and the bathrooms in a a little more functional way. A couple of other things uh, I think of note, one of which is (coughs) a modern technology, and uh, I'm making a note to myself here in just a moment. I can't write and think at the same time. Walmart is putting out, starting next year, they're demanding in in at least 100 of their stores, an RFID chip on every product they sell. That RFID stands, stands for Radio Frequency Identification. And they will be able to trace every product they sell. They will know exactly where it is, whose home it's in, even what part of the house it is in, You cannot buy anything beginning next year in Walmart without them knowing exactly what you buy and what you do with it, where you store it. If you have food storage, they'll know exactly how much is there, uh, when it was bought, when the expiration date is, and that's more for finding things even with a barcode than it is when the product spoils. But Coca-Cola already has a promotion out, Uh, They're giving away an SUV, and within the can, that is the winning can, one of these RFID chips is already implanted. So if they distributed that can, they may have put it in a certain location, who knows, but if it was put in, uh, on a pallet, among other Coca-Cola cans, and just distributed somewhere, uh, they know exactly which warehouse it's in, and or which store it is finally distributed to, and when you buy that particular can of Coca-Cola, you won't, but somebody will. Or will you? No, I don't think so. When someone buys that can of Coca-Cola, they will be able to know exactly where the person is standing when they have it in their hand and they're drinking it. The slogan, the advertising slogan, For this promotion is, you can win, but you cannot hide. Other big corporations are making plans to do this, but they are introducing it in Walmart first, since Walmart is the biggest, and Walmart plays footsie with the New World Order quite well. Uh, They also have more employees in the U.S. military. It has been on my mind considerably lately that food stores should be a a priority for us. I don't know how much good they will do for how long, but we do know trouble is coming, do we not? Uh, The false alarm of Y2K is going to be a true alarm in the not-too-distant future, and Maybe God has placed it on my mind, I don't know, uh, to think about this more lately. And in fact, I think I mentioned we. I just recently, when I was on a trip, I bought 4,900 pounds of wheat, which is stacked back there, and we need to find something to store it in. But I do believe we should start laying things in. Uh, look to the ant you sluggard. God expects us to lay things up at least seasonally, and like the animals do over the winter, And when we see a winter coming on this world, uh, I think that that principle carries over and should apply. Now, maybe this is coming to mind more and is being impressed upon me. I've always stored food, but not in the quantities that I think perhaps we should. And I don't think that that's going to save us. Don't get me wrong. The time may very well come when we pray to God every day, give us this day our daily bread. I would not be at all surprised if we become totally dependent upon God before this is done. But in the meantime, uh, we know trouble is coming. Should we not be wise, perhaps the principle, at least, from Joseph's experience in Egypt could be applied here. Uh, We have had many, many years of plenty in America, for instance, but we know that famine is coming. And that being the case... Didn't God tell Joseph, during the five years of plenty, lay up for the seven years of trouble to come? Uh, That may not be an exact parallel, but I think that the principle certainly applies. We know trouble is coming. Should we not be laying up for it? And then when you add information like this RFID chip to it, uh, do you want the invasion of your privacy next year when you buy? Or would you prefer to buy now, before they can track exactly how many cans you have and where it is in your house? And this is all done by satellite very easily, very small chip. The Mexican government has implanted 160 of its employees with chips already, uh, for whatever reasons. So, it's coming, and it appears now that it's coming fast. Every item of clothes you buy, every pair of shoes, every appliance, every can of food, everything that Walmart sells, and they sell just about everything, don't they? They will be able to tell where it went. And they will be able to find you in that pair of shoes wherever you happen to be on this earth. You cannot hide beginning next year can't hide much already, but then they can track your exact location from satellite instantaneously. Another comment I wanted to make is in terms of hurricane. I'm still getting used to calling it hurricane over here because of the locals. I can't say hurricane anymore. Uh, we have a town, for some of you who may not know out there on the telephone that the Mormons call Hurricane here. But the hurricane that went through Florida yesterday, it is in South Carolina as we meet today, uh, killed quite a few people. They have no idea how many. But there were many killed, perhaps in one trailer park, maybe 60 or so, they don't really know, but time will tell. And they're sending hundreds of body bags down there, so there's some indication that they feel there's quite a a little loss of life. But it struck me that those people were all warned to evacuate. They were told this is coming in, there are problems on the horizon, you could be killed, your homes could be destroyed, and they paid no attention, they paid no heed. They thought they would be okay where they were. I don't think I need to comment too much on that, do I? I think we're spiritually astute enough to realize that there are severe times coming in this world, and there are many, many people in the Church of God who are not attuned to what God says, who are not attuned to what is really coming. And they are certainly not attuned to the scriptures which indicate what ought to be done before this hits. And I dare say that there are some who have even heard the message and who understand who are in denial as well. Just as those people in Punta Gorda and other places in Florida heard, knew, understood the danger, but did nothing about it. And are dead this day. As we meet today, rescue crews are trying to get to them, trying to find the bodies, trying to find injured survivors, zip them into the bags, not the survivors but those who are dead, and bury them because they would not listen. vast majority of God's church today is in that category. Over 90% by far are in that category. And most are saying, I have all I need. Everything is fine. Everything will be fine with me because I am where I am, doing what I'm doing, and that goes against every scripture in the Bible. It goes against every prophecy of God. They don't understand prophecy hardly at all. A very general understanding that Israel will be attacked by the Assyrian. Most do not even realize that it is a confederacy of many nations. Most do not realize that Esau and Edom and the Arab world are involved most do not realize that the whole world is involved in a plot against america and britain and the rest of the israelite countries they simply don't understand it and they do not see the colossus that is rising about us well that's enough time on that for the moment but you're going to be watching news clips and the next few days of torn apart homes, overturned trailers, torn apart houses, warehouses with the roofs blown off, and you're going to see a body count steadily mounting on your TV screens. Think about it. Now, I started last week on the subject of health and healing, and examined quite a few scriptures in the Bible in regards to a covenant of health and healing that God made with ancient Israel, and showed in some scriptures that that covenant carries over to the New Testament, and that there are conditions involved in healing. There is a parallel between what happened in the early New Testament church and what is happening today in the Church of God, or the Churches of God. I can say, I think, Church of God, because all of these come under the umbrella of that name. All these splits, or most of them, I suppose, still do. I'm not sure worldwide qualifies as Church of God anymore, but it's still there. Let's go for a moment to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4 I want to make a point here before we go on. I may have turned to the scripture last week, but in any case, this is a little bit different point I want to make. 2 Timothy 4. You remember that in Acts 2, the New Testament church started with a real bang, didn't it? The Holy Spirit coming like cloven tongues of fire, and tremendous healings began. A lot of people were converted as a result of the miracles and signs and wonders which God wrought there in Jerusalem in Acts 2. That continued for some time, and then there was not quite as dramatic a display. And finally, the early New Testament church began to do, as the apostles said, and as Christ had said, that there would be a great falling away. And that is, prophecy is something that... Happens over and over again. The same prophecy may apply several times in history, but the biggest, the greatest fulfillment will all be at the end, the end of this age. But they did predict a falling away, and they thought that it would come very soon because they thought Christ was going to return soon, and God allowed them to continue thinking that perhaps throughout their lives. But John, toward the end, of the 70 years, essentially a 70-year experience of the early New Testament church, before it disappeared, saw that demise coming. And so did Paul. Paul even mentions various ones who had left the faith, or they were ravening wolves who had come in unawares, and that type of thing, because even before he was killed, he saw the church beginning to come apart, people being led into apostasy and so on, just as we see it today. Now let's apply that to a principle here in 2 Timothy 4, or to a situation in verse 20. He mentions Erastus here, who abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Paul did not heal, or God did not heal in, in tandem with Paul, Trophimus, he left them at Miletus, sick. Now this is many years after Acts 2, and we find that people were not being healed left and right, and in fact, even Paul left some sick, apparently, at least one. And I wonder how much this parallels the experience of the end-time New Testament church. Earlier on, we saw many more healings and far more dramatic healings. And as we reach the end of this age, or very close to it, we see less of it. And I wonder if it's because of apostasy, if it's because of lack of diligence and obedience and love to God, that some of that begins to fail, or perhaps a very critical factor is that of faith. And we'll get into some scriptures on that a little later on, whether today or next week. But is some of the failing ours? Now, before I get into that, I want to go to John 9. John 9. And let's understand something here. John 9, verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples, in other words, immediately wanted to discuss blame. Whose fault is it that this person has a physical infirmity? has to belong to somebody does it belong to his parents or to him jesus answered neither has this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of god should be made manifest in him i must work the works of him that sent me while it is day the night comes when no man can work Now while I think that we collectively need to address the issue of healing and certainly of health, I don't feel that we should each personally take any affliction we might have or continue to have as something where guilt can be laid upon us specifically and individually. Now there was a time in Israel's history when the sin of Achan was laid upon the entire congregation and thousands of people died in a plague. And I think that we certainly need to consider that and consider our lives in relationship to each other. But at the same time, I feel from this scripture and from many others that God is going to show his hand in a very dramatic way, at the end time. And I'm not going to take the time right now to go through those scriptures. We've been there, we've seen many of them. And you can certainly compare Acts 2 with Joel, and Joel is a day of the Lord type of context. And Peter thought that was happening in Acts 2, but it wasn't. It was a fulfillment of it, but it wasn't the biggest and final fulfillment of it. So this is yet to come. And I have noticed a trend, it seems, lately, that while we do have some healings that seem complete, what I am seeing as a trend is partial healings. I'm seeing God intervene to some degree, but not entirely. In other words, he has been allowing us to continue to live and intervening so that we might and receive at least some help that we not die, but maybe he's saving a lot of dramatic and complete healings to show his hand with his people in his time and in his way that glory might go to God. Meanwhile, we still have infirmities and difficulties that have not been dealt with or have only been partially dealt with. I just don't want us to get into a judgmental uh, attitude where we look at someone and say, well, that person must be sinning. Now, as we grow older and we're in a degenerate age in which we've been living wrongly in Babylon, we have a lot of sick people scattered throughout the greater church of God and indeed throughout all Israel and around the world as a result of what we have been eating and the way, the style of life we've been living And those of you who appear healthy now may not stay that way. It's easy for some to become self-righteous and raise themselves up and say, well, I must be okay, I'm not sick, they must have problems, they're sick, or they're afflicted. That is a wrong attitude for us to allow ourselves to get in. Now, each and every one of us, when we are ill or when we have afflictions, certainly need to consider our lives, our relationship with God, our level of self-righteousness, perhaps, or whatever. God may be allowing some of these things to teach us, but I don't think he's trying to teach us only individually. I believe he's trying to teach the whole church collectively. And if we have the proper love one for another... We will not raise ourselves above someone else and say our level of spirituality must be higher because we were healed of a particular thing and and so-and-so was not healed. God has his reasons for doing what he does when he does it. Just as this man who was born blind, and God apparently either allowed a natural circumstance to happen or maybe even caused him to be born blind, that God's glory might be shown in Jesus Christ at a particular hour, on a particular day, when a lesson for his disciples needed to be made. We need to be careful not to be judgmental one toward another. But when one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. When one is sick, we're all sick. We should feel each other's pain. It was nice yesterday when... Dale cut his fingers, I don't mean it was nice that he cut his fingers, but it was nice that everyone who heard about it just sort of converged on the spot to see if there was anything they could do, and maybe some saw to some degree what was happening and didn't go because they figured there's enough people there now uh, that there's also that. We don't necessarily need to be looky-loos, you know, everybody stops at an accident on the highway just to see if they can see some blood, I guess, uh, rather than going on getting out of the way and causing somebody else to be killed. But enough were there who initially responded that hopefully any situation could be taken care of because we're growing as a family to the point we truly care enough that we want to see if there's anything we can do. And we should have more and more of that so that we get to the point we're able and willing to help wherever and we feel each other's pain. Uh, God feels and sees our pain and we should see and feel each other's and we're all members of the same body. When the toe hurts the head responds, when the head hurts the toe should respond. And we don't know which part of the body is which part so we should all respond to anything in the body that has need. So we should be careful Uh, not to judge others, nor, I think in a wrong way, should we judge ourselves too harshly. Yes, we need to check our level of faith. Yes, we need to check our level of belief. Yes, we need to determine whether or not we should be going to God or to man for certain things. We need to think those things through. We need to learn to apply principles. And yet at the same time, not be too hard on ourselves understanding that God has in mind to do some things at a certain time, in a certain way, for special reasons. And I certainly look for that in his church somewhere, at some time, in the end time. And I hope that we can be a part of that. I hope that we're changing and growing and responding to him in such a way that he will make us a part of that. It's going to be somebody. Why shouldn't it be us? Or why shouldn't we be a part of it, if not us entirely? And I'm not trying to single us out as being exclusive that way. What I'm trying to say is, if we do our part, then certainly he will make us a part when he sets his hand to do these things. Others have to assess their situation and determine what they need to do in order to be accounted worthy Not only for escape physically, but for healing, for spiritual blessing, and all of the benefits that God promises. All of them are conditional, and the whole church needs to be thinking about that. We need to be thinking about it, but we can't change the rest of the church. The only ones we can change is ourselves. So if we want to be a part of what God is doing, we need to be sure That we have right attitudes, right minds, right approaches, and are doing what we need to be doing. They ceased to do what they should have been doing toward the age, the end of the early New Testament age. From roughly 30 A.D. to 100 A.D., about 70 years, the church began, flourished, diminished, and disappeared. And in this last 70 years, in this age, we have seen the church begin, grow, flourish to some degree, and now it is virtually disappearing. Gone off the radar screen. It's not discernible as a body anymore. That which is still discernible as one group is essentially gone right back into paganism, and been planted there. And the larger groups are not known by most of the people of this country. Their little broadcasts at 4 a.m. don't mean squat. And there are very few who listen at 4 a.m., It didn't happen in the end time in exactly the same way it did at the beginning of the New Testament church. That one began with a flourish and ended in apostasy. This one began very small and grew very, very slowly at first, whereas that one, three and 5,000 were converted in one day. There is a difference. But you, you not only compare the two times, the first 70 years and the last 70, but you have to also look upon it as one entity. In other words, the church began roughly 30, 31 A.D., and that body is being dealt with right at the end as a whole. And the drama that we saw at the very beginning will not be at the first part of the end-time church. It will be at the last part of it. So it's flip-flopped in that sense. The drama is ahead of us. Whereas in their day, since it was just the beginning of the New Covenant, the drama was at the the beginning, and the end was a mess. Now, in a way, I see a parallel there. We are at the end of the 70 years, and we also are in a mess. But the dramatic regrouping, the gathering of the remnant, and the dramatic things are yet to happen. So even in the apostasy, there is relief if we do our part and are there. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 32. Let's begin to examine some things here and see some areas that we may be culpable as individuals, as a group and as a greater church of God here in the end time, and in a larger sense even, what culpability or blame or guilt might lie upon all Israel. Deuteronomy 32. Give ear, O you heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. This is God speaking. Well, let's go back to verse 29 of the previous chapter for a moment. He's talking about these people in verse 27, Israel, who are full of rebellion and a stiff neck. Behold, while I'm yet alive with you this day, verse 27, you have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death? Moses speaking. Or no, this is Joshua, I guess, speaking here. Well, I hadn't intended to show that, it's either Joshua or Moses, it doesn't matter. Gather to me all the elders of your tribes, verse 28, and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears, and call heaven and earth to record against them. For I know that after my death you will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. This is a prophecy for then, and it's a prophecy most especially for now. Let's understand the context of Deuteronomy. Because you will do evil in the sight of the Eternal to provoke him to anger through the works of your hands. Now based on Revelation 3 and many other scriptures, such as Lamentations, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the the Minor Prophets, and Daniel, and, and all of them, we are there today. This is us. Moses, it was Moses, spoke in the ears of all the congregation of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. Same song, second verse, could get better, going to get worse, we might say today. And it is getting worse. The governor of New Jersey is resigning as a result of a homosexual affair. Our government is shot through with it. Our peoples are shot through with it. It's getting worse and worse. That's just one aspect. Give ear, O you heavens, and I will speak, and hear O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe you greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. This is brought forward in the New Testament, isn't it? We sing, God is my rock, from the Old Testament, but he is the chief cornerstone, as Ephesians points out. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right, is he. They have corrupted themselves, their spot is not the spot of his children, they are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is he not your Father that has brought you... Has he not made you and established you? What did Christ tell us to do in the New Testament? Pray to our Father in heaven. And he was our Father even back then. Even though the relationship uh, changed somewhat with the new covenant and became even more so, it was so even back then. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. We need to look back at the examples of what happened in the past, what happened to Israel as a result of what they did in relationship to the covenants and promises and agreements they made with God. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve and what agreements and covenants they made with God. You can bring it forward throughout all generations. And that's what we're being called upon here to do. Ask your Father and He will show you your elders, and they will tell you. Is that what the end-time church overall is doing right now? Do you see people furiously paging through their Bibles and all these organizations and their leaders to find out what happened to other generations and why? To find out what has happened to this generation and why? No, you find most... Religious leaders in the church today, telling their people, everything is okay with us, it's all those others that have the problems. Now this is probably the 432nd song, or first, or or same song, 432 verse that I have said this. But I don't think we can let up, brethren... We need to deeply consider all the generations that have occurred before and look and see that we have the same problems they had and begin to find the answers. What does this have to do with healing? I think it has a lot to do with healing, both physical and spiritual, ultimately. If we don't look, if we don't find, if we don't search out the answers, who will? How many organizations are diligently searching the scriptures today? I know of very few. They are content with everything they learned in the past. Now I respect Herbert Armstrong greatly, and God did use him to call a lot of people to the basic truth. But didn't the church get off the track under Herbert Armstrong? Didn't he himself recognize that? Didn't he himself say, We must get back on track? We were off. And didn't then God begin to scatter and destroy the church, take away the hedge from around his vineyard? Now, if that were the case, shouldn't we be diligently trying to find out what went wrong, how and why we were off the track, what we need to get back on it? I submit to you that all these organizations out here who are saying all we need to do is stick to what we had under Herbert Armstrong, never learn anything new, are in serious trouble. And even though their avowed goal is to recreate worldwide, it is not happening. And they are not getting converts, and they are not holding people, and they are not holding the young people, because God is not working through those organizations to build anything. Now, a critic might immediately say, You've lost more people lately than you've gained. That's right. I have no problem with that. For one thing, we're not trying to build a big organization. And numbers and money mean nothing to us. What counts with us is finding out what is right and what is wrong. So we don't care about numbers of people. Now, I don't like to see people leave. I don't like to see people upset and frustrated. But at the same time, I don't want to see us going the wrong direction either. I want us to get in line with God's Word. We need to compare Worldwide Church of God with this book. And if we find that we weren't following this book, this is God's Word. We are to live by every word of God, not every word of Herbert Armstrong. And only as Herbert Armstrong followed this book are we to follow Herbert Armstrong. Did not Paul say, follow me only as I follow Christ? He certainly did. That principle still applies, and it applies right now very importantly. Too many people's minds are absolutely closed. You see, there's a certain comfort in that. You think you're going to be okay because of what you had in the past. But shouldn't it be coming very be becoming very clear that what we were in the past was not enough? We need more of God's Word. We need deeper understanding of God's truths. We need to have our heads in this book. We need to find what the problem is and why. And that applies to healing. It applies to health. It applies to every aspect of life because, as Herbert Armstrong often said, God's way is a way of life. And this is the instruction book. This is the instruction book on any part, any facet of life. There are principles here that are involved in every facet of life. And we must learn to apply principles, not just go by, let's say, the letter of the law. People often do that because they don't want to change. If you tell them we shouldn't eat white bread, they say, okay, I'll eat no more white bread. I'll go to white roads. They seemingly have no capacity to adapt a principle. They go by, you know, what was the list? Now, we had a problem with that years ago in Worldwide people could not apply the principle of dressing modestly. You could say, dress modestly, till you were blue in the face, and they would pay no attention to that, because they didn't grasp it. They needed, it appeared, a set of rules. Now it became ludicrous, because they actually started measuring skirt lengths and cleavage. That should not have to be done. You know, if you say the skirt's too short, they would lengthen the skirt and lower the blouse. You say the blouse is too short, they'd raise the skirt and, I mean, raise the blouse and lower the skirt. And now they just sort of split it in the middle so you can see everything in the middle. And someday, I guess, they'll get it where it all comes apart or together all the way. Why can't we apply principles? Why do we have to go by the exact letter of the law when it comes to food? You know, I might make a list of things you can have or can't have. Just off the top of my head, I could say, this category of things is wrong. Coca-Cola, Sprite, whatever. So we don't have those brands. We get something else that's full of chemicals and sugar and Uh, artificial sweeteners and whatever why can't we learn to apply a principle very difficult it seems we need to learn to think like God thinks to apply principles from the scripture to our lives when somebody says dress decently and modestly then we should be able to think, you know, am I dressing modestly? How much of my body am I showing? Maybe if you notice people are starting to look, you got a little more you ought to cover up. Is that so hard to figure out? Instead of getting mad at them for looking. That's what the girls in the world do. They dress so it, will be, so it will be seen, and then they get all upset if you look. Why is it our fault as men that they dress to make you look? And they get so offended when you do. Now maybe there's a little bit of pride and ego and vanity there and drawing the look, but at the same time, they're causing the look, or aiding and abetting it. Maybe part of it's just not understanding how men's minds work. But you shouldn't give them every opportunity and help them go the wrong way either. Verse 4 of Deuteronomy 32. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. They have corrupted themselves, their spot is not the spot of his children, they are a perverse and crooked generation. Now this is talking about the latter days. And all Israel certainly has become that, and we in the church became that as well on a spiritual level. Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people, or, or blame him, and unwise? Is not he your Father that has bought you? Were we not bought with a price? Were we not purchased and pray, paid for by Christ's blood through his sacrifice? Absolutely we were. We are a purchased people, 1 Peter 2.9. Peculiar there is a bad translation. He purchased us. He bought us. We're his slaves. Whether we live or die, we belong to him. Now that is an area where the church overall is way off the track. They somehow think that the moment they become sick or ill, that the medical profession is their father that heals them. Not so. God is a jealous God who said, I am your healer. I forgive your iniquities, I heal your diseases. If we belong to God and we go to someone else, are we getting in trouble with God? We need to consider that very deeply. We need to apply the principle that he is our father and that Jesus Christ purchased us and that by his stripes we are healed. There are so many who will ask for anointing and run to the doctors. And it nauseates me sometimes when I see that. I think it nauseates God, and that's one of the reasons he's blown us apart. We've denied one of his names, God our healer. Yahweh Rofika, if you want to use the Hebrew. But well, we don't need to use the Hebrew. God our healer is sufficient. God understands English. I don't pray in all Hebrew, and neither do I need to use all the Hebrew names, nor do I need to use the Greek names. God speaks English. He speaks all the other languages, too, but he allows translation. We belong to him, and whether we live or die, we belong to him. we'll have to face him in some resurrection and we may have to answer some questions you belong to me why did you go to them I'm not going to stand here and tell you there isn't a time to go get a bone set or a cut sewed up or whatever there might be but there comes a point where people trained to do that have taken it way beyond where it should go And that is true of any and everything. Is TV wrong, per se? No. God made the airwaves, God made the audio waves, God made the natural laws that can be harnessed to cause pictures to be translated up to satellites and back to you, wherever you might be. That technology God created. So that doesn't make it wrong, does it? So TV, per se, is not a sin. But man always takes it beyond what God intended, and it becomes a sin. We're to see no evil, hear no evil. And if we're watching fornication and adultery and murder and all kinds of sins and reliving it vicariously on a TV set, we are sinning. Now, God made natural healing processes in the body as well. The body he made to take care of most problems. Yet there are times when we need various helps. And there's no problem with people understanding a fig poultice, as we saw in Hezekiah's case. Various herbs, various ways of setting bones perhaps sewing things up. But at what point do we, when we go to the medical authorities, begin to impinge upon what God says is his territory? I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts as far as medical procedures are concerned. But I think we need to begin to apply the principles Because God is a jealous God, and we need to be very, very careful how much we depend upon the medical profession. Asa went to the doctors, diseased in his feet, and the implication is he died because he went to the doctors. Now, does that mean you ought to tonight go off of everything you might be taking? Not necessarily, That's between you and God. There's an element of this in which we must grow. If we have been trusting in, believing in, and putting our faith in the medical profession, and the preacher stands up and says, that all has to go away, and we have a void left in our head, i.e., we're told you should not trust in them, but we do not have and have not built the trust in God, then we have a problem, don't we? And I cannot legislate faith. That is something you purchase day by day on your knees with God. You were supposed to come to the point before you were baptized that you were willing to turn your life entirely over to God you were bought with a price paid for by Jesus Christ's death and his broken body and the only reason his body was broken and beaten was that by his stripes we might be healed I've made this point before but I think it's an important one to make right now he could have been killed in various ways without torture without the abuse that he took. That physical abuse was specifically for our healing. 1 Peter 2.24 By his stripes you were healed. He didn't need to suffer that. Some of you saw a movie about it recently, and you saw an awful lot of blood and gore that was not necessary except for healing. Death is all that is required for life. They did not torture bulls and goats and sheep and lambs before they sacrificed them in the Old Testament, did they? No, they just cut their throat and the blood drained out and they died. That was it. Didn't torture them, didn't beat them, didn't whip them, didn't jam thorns on their heads. They just cut the throat, and the blood which contained the life drained out, and that was the end. And that could have been done with Jesus Christ, except for our physical healing. Now I ask you, is this important to God, or is it not? But we have to somehow come to the point that we trust God, that we believe God. Maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself here in terms of where I thought I was headed, but this is something very, very important that we need to deeply consider. How much faith do we have? Will Christ find faith when he returns to this earth? Where will he find it? Will he find it in people who truly have turned their lives over to him? Or will there be none of those? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my level best to walk in faith and trust in God. And I'm going to do my best to impart it to others that they might grow in faith in God. He made us. He created this whole universe. Why can't we trust Him? Why can't we believe Him? This is a focal point of lack of healing in God's church today. One of the most important, if not the most important point. We, it seems as humans need to trust in someone. So if we have not developed a relationship with God so that we walk with Him, talk with Him, and trust Him, then we lean on someone else, don't we? Do we sometimes lean in the wrong direction? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. Maybe. We shouldn't go off something cold turkey, but maybe we should see a need and a lack in our spiritual condition and begin to try to repair that so that we can trust in God rather than other things. Is not he your father that has bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Didn't God make us? Didn't he establish us? Didn't he bring us together as a church in the end time under Herbert Armstrong? And did we not trust him enough? And we sinned and he blew us apart? Should we not now be finding some answers? We need to ask ourselves these questions. How much of the church really is asking these questions? Not very much. Are you, as a parent, pleased with lip service, brethren? When you want your children to do something, you want them to be a certain way, to think a certain way, are you pleased with lip service and disobedience? They'll say, I'll do this, but I won't. Now, there's an example Christ used about the two sons. One said, I will and didn't. The other said, I won't, but repented and did. That was the one that the father was pleased with. Not the one who says, I will, but then does not. God is not interested in lip service. He wants our hearts. He wants us as an entire package. He wants us to turn our lives over to him. Entirely, totally, and completely. To trust him in every aspect of our lives. To trust him where his Sabbath is concerned and not work on it. To trust him where our health is concerned and look to him for healing. To trust him with our lives, our wealth, our health, everything. What is it going to take for his people to simply say, Whatever you say, Father, I'm yours. When will it get to the point with God's people where pleasing Him is more important than physical life? When pleasing Him is more important than physical wealth or any other thing that we might have as an idol? (coughs) When will we put Him first? When will we cease idolatry? Is he not the father that bought us? Has he not made us and established us? Isn't it strange in a way that we look to eternal life? We look to live forever in God's kingdom. We want to be in the resurrection. Who is it that can do that? Man wants to cry a vacuum until he finds a way to make you live. Remember the big flap about Ted Williams, one of the best, greatest baseball players ever. And they wanted to save his head and freeze it up so that someday they might bring him back.
1: Isn't it awful?
0: But that's that's man's mixed up crazy thinking. We're we're trying to somehow attain immortality without doing the things that the one who created us tells us to do. But I think it's also a strange dichotomy that we in the church would say, I'm trusting God to resurrect me, and the first resurrection is one of the 144,000, and yet we won't trust him with our life. We won't trust him with our wealth or our health. But we expect him to resurrect us from the dead. Can't fix us while we're still alive, but we expect him to fix us from the dead. Does this work? How does this work? How can you die expecting resurrection when you can't convince yourself to live his way now? But that's the perverseness of human nature and the broadcasting of Satan the devil in us. We are to become selfless, not selfish, to give to others, to help others, to help turn them to God, and to turn ourselves to God in the process, to encourage faith, to encourage love, to encourage hope, to encourage strength, and obedience to God, so that we might have life eternal and resurrection. But at the same time, we have trouble turning loose and trusting God with our everyday affairs. Human nature is impossible, I guess, to explain. It's hard to live with. It's hard to deal with. It's hard to understand. I fight myself every day, you fight yourself every day, to do things his way, to think his way, and yet we have something that comes up, whatever it might be, and suddenly we panic. How can I trust God to take care of this? So we find our own solution, and God wants us to solve some of our problems. But what if we take unrighteous solutions? Righteous are solutions that would cause us not to trust in God or to impinge upon an area that he says is his. We have to think. I remember two or three years ago I, got, I was doing something with a grinder I don't remember exactly what but I had a piece of metal go in my eye and stick on the eyeball. And I tried to get it out and couldn't get it out and Marla kind of tried at it But that's a real tender spot, if you've noticed, your eyeball. And this was stuck right there, right in front, right front center. It wasn't up under the eyelid somewhere like a twig or a piece of foreign matter will get. This was just stuck right to it. And I thought maybe it was stuck in it. And I thought, well, what is the solution here? Think this through. Should I go to somebody who has the instruments that are better than hers and mine to get that out of my eye, Or should I just pray and ask God to remove it? I concluded that it only made sense to go and have someone reach in there who could enlarge it, you know, look through uh, optical equipment and see it because we couldn't even tell really where it was. But they could enlarge that and see it and reach in and pick it up. I don't think that impinged upon God's Sovereignty as a healer, that I would take that. And if I broke my arm tomorrow, I would have no problem with going to somebody who had been trained to align bones. I don't think that that gets in the way of God. But somewhere in there, when you start going for their remedies, you begin to get in an area God says, I'm jealous about. And we need to learn wisdom. That's what this life is about. Wisdom and control. What is God's Ballywhack? Where would he expect us to draw a line in our own lives and minds? Now he told Hezekiah that he would live 15 more years, but after that they put the big poultice on the boil to draw the poison out of the boil so that that might occur. So it was not, God did not have a problem, apparently, with using a solution that they knew about, probably green figs, because they draw. God didn't have a problem with that. At least it's not mentioned in a negative context. But there is a point where this world always goes beyond anything that God intended in any subject you want to name. I don't know whether I'm going to make it through Deuteronomy 32 today or not. Verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your Father, and He will show you. Didn't Christ quote that? Ask, seek, and you shall find your elders, and they will tell you. Now, I don't know about that too much in the end-time church today. I think if you go to most of the elders in the Church of God today and ask them what's going on and why, they don't have a clue. They're not looking in the Bible to find the answer. They think, most of them, that they are doing the right thing Somebody else is the problem. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. God determined what nations would go where. When all the colonization began to occur in the 1400s, 15, 16, 1700s, God determined which nations, which peoples would go where. He set the bounds of the sons of Adam. He knows where we are. He knows where he put everybody. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He certainly knows where Jacob is today. It's not lost on God at all. Most people in the world today don't have any clue as to who is who. We do because we've done what? Studied God's Word and applied it to God's people. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Now this is something that will also occur at the end, but it has occurred several times throughout history. God put Israel and Egypt, didn't he? And he took them into a waste, howling wilderness, didn't he? And he has taken his people into wilderness areas before. He did in 70 A.D. when the people went to Pella. He did in the Middle Ages when they fled from wherever they were to whatever mountains they could find for protection in Europe and other places. And here in the end, God is going to find his people in a desert land and in a waste howling wilderness as well. Now, spiritually speaking, we are certainly in a desert, a time of famine spiritually of the Word of God, and I think that we can find in the Psalms and other prophecies that he is going to take his people into the desert again and into a waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. So God is going in the desert and waste-howling wilderness, probably physically and spiritually both, going to lead his people and instruct them in the truth. As an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them, bears them on her wings, so the Eternal alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. What did God do? He took his people away from the strange gods of Egypt, got them completely away from the society and culture to which they were accustomed, and began to teach them the truth. That is the pattern if we look back through the generations in the history of Israel. And isn't that what Moses told us we should do in the latter days? Go back and see what God did before and do it again. No, I've not used this particular scripture. I've used Zephaniah 2, I've used Micah 4, I've used Jeremiah 50-51, other places in Jeremiah and Isaiah, to show that God's people should get away from this world, its culture, its things, its medical system as well, and begin to rely upon God. Now isn't that what this is talking about? Moses said, get away. So the Eternal alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. He took them away. Now, if that fits, won't God be getting his people away from the gods of this world today? Won't he be saying, get away from her, my people, that you be not partakers of her plagues and her sins? And one of the biggest plagues is sickness and illness and bad health. One of the biggest plagues that is upon our peoples today. Are we to be looking to God or are we to be looking to the gods of this world? Verse 13, he made him ride on the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields. I believe very firmly God is going to do that with his people again. Right here at the end. He may lead us into a desert, but he's going to bring us water. We may go through a spiritual and a physical famine, but God is going to bring us spiritual water and physical water. That's what he's done before. That is the pattern. He is the same yesterday, today, and Forever, And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of cattle and milk of sheep with feed, fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat or kernels of wheat. And you did drink the pure blood of the grape. God is going to bring plenty again. But murmuring in the wilderness won't help. Turning to other gods will not help. Did you ever look at the medical staff and see the snake and the cross? Where'd that come from? Same place the crosses on the church came, churches came from. Beelzebub, from the god of flies, the gods of Ekron not the eternal of hosts. All right, what happened? Verse 15, But Jeshurun, which is symbolic of Israel, or means the people of Israel, waxed fat and kicked. You are waxed fat. You are grown thick. You are covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Is it too big a stretch of the imagination to understand why God is sending famine and pestilence, both spiritually and physically, upon Israel and upon the church today? We became fat. We became self-sufficient. We became self-satisfied and self-righteous. It happened both in the church and it's happened in physical Israel. And we are a product of both physical Israel and of Worldwide Church of God gone astray. We forsook God who made us. He made us. Can't he fix us? Did we lightly esteem the rock of salvation? And all that Jesus Christ went through for us to be physically healed as well as spiritually healed? Did we begin to go to other gods? They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with admonitions or with abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed to devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begot you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten God that formed you. Are we not called the begotten of God today in the New Covenant? Begotten to be spiritual sons of God? Did we not go astray from that and think that we were just A-OK and in need of nothing? And God showed us different, didn't he? I'm scattered, you're scattered. The whole church is scattered. But the little groups that form, or the big groups that form, somehow don't consider themselves scattered. They consider themselves okay. Brethren, we cannot afford that luxury. We need to be very, very mindful of God. Of the rock that begot you, you are unmindful. We are not God-centered enough. We are still self-centered. We are still full of vanity and ego and trying to show how wonderful we are rather than looking to God and His glory and how wonderful He is. It is amazing, is it not, how much we try to impress people every day with how important we are, how much we know, how smart we are, all the experiences that we have experienced, and show that we are somehow better or more important than someone else. We do it constantly. Well, what did God say? And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. Haven't we read in Isaiah and other scriptures how God has hid his face from the church? And how he can't stand to look at the church? And that includes me, not just them. They are a very froward generation, very arrogant, very self-sufficient, very self-important, very self-righteous, obnoxious, stiff-necked, and rebellious. That's what froward means. Children in whom is no faith. a very important missing ingredient. A lot of people say, well, why doesn't God heal today? Here's one of the primary reasons right here. We simply don't trust him. We give him lip service and then trust our lives to others. We give him lip service, we take anointing like we would an aspirin, and then go for other solutions. A people in whom is no faith. Go to most congregations across the land today of those who were a part of God's people, and what do you find? They make announcements about so-and-so had a quadruple bypass, so-and-so had chemo, so-and-so had this, so-and-so had that. Treating chemicals with chemicals. And there is no faith. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger. God is stirred up and angry. And shall burn to the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains." Is this an end-time prophecy or not? I will heap mischief upon them. I will send my arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword without and terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs, babies and old people. It's going to fall on everybody. Because we have provoked God to anger and jealousy because we will not trust Him and do not have faith in Him. We should be beginning to get an inkling of why there is not much healing or other blessing from God right now. It's because we have sought other gods, the gods of this land and its culture. I said I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Isn't that true of what's happening to the church today? Used to, I could ask people on airplanes or wherever I happen to run into them. I'm talking 30 years ago. I could ask people that asked me if we got into religion. Well, have you ever heard of Herbert Armstrong? Oh yeah, we used to listen to that, or I've heard that program, or my dad listened to that all the time. That is rarely the case anymore. I can ask people, I've had people right around here, around our community, who have brought up religion. We get talking about the various things. And I'll mention Herbert Armstrong or Garner Ted. Never heard of them. Over, well over half have never heard. Whereas before, well over half had heard. All that we did and all those airplanes and colleges and buildings and plain truths and TV programs are forgotten. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, our hand is high and the Lord has not done all this. God's scattering us so that we will recognize that God has done all this. Recognize that God is not happy with us, and therefore we need to do something about it to make him happy again. I want my Father to be happy with me, and yet my human nature wants me to do things that would not make my Father happy with me. O wretched man that I am! For they are a nation void of counsel. Their counselors, their teachers, their preachers don't have a clue. Neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? For their their rock is not as our rock. Even our enemies themselves being judges. They're trusting in false gods. And we started trusting in false gods. And as a result, we are being chased. We should be able to put 10,000 to flight. Brethren, that is going to happen at the end. God is going to raise up people who will cause the world to take flight and to fear them because God has given them power. That is the position the church should be in, but we are not, because we've forgotten God. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Look at our country today, how much Sodom and Gomorrah there is, and how much it is increasing day by day and their grapes are grapes of gall their clusters are bitter their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up among my treasures God says don't I understand this haven't I seen this haven't I held this in my hands and observed it to me belongs vengeance and recompense their foot shall slide in due time For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself or relent himself for his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. And he shall say, Where are their gods, their rock, in whom they trusted? When this all comes apart, how are you going to get your medicine? How are you going to get your chemo? How are you going to get your operations? Our gods are going to disappear before our very eyes. And we will have to turn to the true God or else. That's just the way it's going to be. Well, I'm going to stop there. I'm almost out of time. But we need to understand. But what we are experiencing and the lack of healing and the lack of benefits and other blessings from God is a result of our chasing the gods of this world and God sees no faith on the earth not very much and he doesn't see much among his people and that's what we need to start building trusting him more in the world less I'm not going to tell you You've got to stop everything you're doing today and today only. Maybe I should go that far. But if you don't have faith in God, then you're left with nothing, right? So build the faith in God. Build trust in Him so that He might be pleased with you and be willing to heal and to help His whole church. We need to take an individual responsibility, but we don't need to be discouraged either. We need to begin to place our trust and our faith and our belief in the eternal one who made us in every aspect of our lives. And then we will begin to receive some answers. I'm not done with this yet, but that's a good place to stop for today.